Jeremiah Backer, Senior Director of Responsible Investment, and I'm joined today by Rob Lambert, a Blue Bay Portfolio Manager with the Investment Grade team. Rob, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about the clean energy transition, which can include a range of themes, renewables, electric vehicles, carbon capture, large-scale battery storage, and hydrogen. Rob, as we look back on 2023, what do you think were the biggest headwinds when it comes to the clean energy transition? Well, it was a somewhat bifurcated uh, renewable landscape in, in 2023. Um, I mean, you had the solar market was actually fairly strong, uh, but wind faced a number of challenges. I mean, that was, you know, from uh, project input, labor, capital cost pressures. We also had interconnection and permitting delays and transmission limitations. I mean, more specifically, you know, high financing costs uh, had, a, had a very large impact on projects. Uh, and then you had labor and land costs, which sort of outweighed commodity and freight costs, um, which which fell in 2023. So that pushed up the levelized cost of energy uh, for wind and, and utility scale solar, but but mostly in wind. Um, and if you look at the impact of inflation and, and interest rates in particular, uh, you saw offshore winds uh, levelized cost of uh, electricity go from go up 50% from 2021 to 2023. Thank you. And if those are the three biggest headwinds from the clean energy transition, what do you think were the three biggest tailwinds in 23? Um, well, I think the IRA investment tax credits and production tax credits have made utility scale solar and onshore wind, um, including projects paired with storage competitive with the marginal cost of existing conventional generation. Um, renewables collecting production tax credits will likely increase the prevalence of negative prices in wholesale electricity markets going forward. Um, and then you've also had national and regional targets for renewables, uh, which have also helped. So I think there's over 29 states in the US now, which have mandatory renewable portfolio standards, and 24 have zero greenhouse gas emissions or 100% renewable energy goals. Uh, spanning 2030 through through to 2050. Uh, and then at the corporate level, you've got um, a large push in renewable procurement. Uh, we saw the number of transacting customers increase by 31% in the first half of last year, um, year on year. And big tech was, was obviously a large driver of that. So we certainly saw with the IRA that having a potentially big impact. If we look across countries or regions, which ones do you think will face the greatest challenges in transitioning to clean energy and why? I think developing nations, um, you know, particularly Africa. Uh, I mean, looking at, at global estimates, there are about 152 nations that qualify as developing rather than developed. So that's nearly 7 billion people or 85% of the population. But these nations receive less than 5% of investment into renewable energy. So, I mean, if you look at the Dominican Republic of Congo, they've got close to 100 million people, but over 70% of them have no electricity at all. So it's worrisome, not only from a regional perspective, um, but also a global one, as over 75% of all carbon dioxide emissions will come from those countries by, by 2050. And that's an important point if we think of what action is needed to address climate change. And if you think of the clean energy transition, in many ways, it's taking place right now against a backdrop of conflict and geopolitical risks, trade tensions, supply chain disruptions, and relatively high inflation. How in what way have or are these factors affecting the clean energy transition? 
Well, I mean, the, the war between Russia and Ukraine and the sort of subsequent sanctions on Russian gas highlighted the reliance for Europe on, on natural gas for power and heating. Um, that triggered a, a strong pivot from the EU to accelerate renewable. Um, but it also exacerbated the situation in commodities um, and across the supply chain and workforce where we saw some pretty heightened inflation. You know, that coupled with high rates to counter that inflation resulted in a number of um, quite notable renewable project cancellations, no notably off the east coast of the US. Um, I mean, heightened political risk, notably with China, has led to both Europe and the US seeking to create domestic supply chains, which, you know, over time could aid the transition. Um, and I mean, another important consideration is close to a third of the energy transition mineral projects are on or near territories affected by ge geopolitical risks. We know that government policy and action on climate change is essential for progress in the clean energy transition. At the end of this year, governments will be coming together for the annual climate conference at COP29. What are your expectations for COP29 later this year? So the, the COP29 summit in Baku in November is going to focus on climate finance. Um, and I think governments will set a new post-2025 finance goal. Um, without more grant-based funding, I think plans to adapt to climate change and cut emissions will not be implemented. So the COP29 decision on climate finance is going to be vital. Um, apart from an agreement about scaled-up funding, it needs to address timeframes, measures for tracking and accounting, and an agreement about where and how funding should be spent and directed. I mean, I hope governments of the Global North arrive at COP29 with strong and uh, parliamentarian mandates, but you know that process needs to start now, and, and something that we're seeing this year is a lot of government elections, so we could see some changes in policy. Absolutely. And it's clear that very much the energy transition is a work in progress. So what do you believe the next era of clean energy will look like? What are the energy sources of the future? What are you looking towards? I think much will depend upon the scale of nascent technologies such as hydrogen and carbon capture. I mean, there's some way from being cost competitive or commercially viable at scale. Um, but if the cost curve follows what we've seen in solar and wind, that could be a factor into the next decade. Um, I also think energy security has become much more important after the past couple of years, sort of elevated power prices and, and the issues we've had with Russian natural gas. So I'd expect there to be a more open-minded attitude to baseload options such as nuclear. Um, you know, despite the rising costs, and there's been plenty of headlines about how, uh, you know, nuclear, notably in the UK, is, uh, is massively over budget, but most renewables are still intermittent. Um, so without new baseload, we could face blackouts. So I think there needs to be some pragmatism there from, you know, at the national level. And in terms of the clean energy of choice, I think solar probably has the most potential to achieve the, the lowest levelized cost of, um, of power. The two main factors underpinning this are construction. It takes about one year for uh, a large solar farm versus three years for an offshore wind farm. And affordability. Um, I mean, both... Technologies have come down sharply, but the cost of solar and batteries has come down by over 90% since 2010. And I think various projections point to another 60% odd reduction from current levels by 2050. Given that, what do you think is key to the success of the clean energy transition? Firstly, I'd say diversification. I mean, no unique source of energy can do the job alone. You know, countries near the equator tend to have the best potential for for solar, but that declines as you move away. 
Um, and then also, you know, offshore wind works well in shallow waters, less well in, in deep waters, which is why you don't have much offshore wind off the coast of California. Um, storage and networks is going to be key. Uh, we need huge investments in networks and, and connecting renewables to the grid. I mean, spark grids, I think, are going to play a key role. Uh, and commercial storage options, given renewables are primarily intermittent. Um, profitability needs to be compelling. Costs have tumbled, but we still need government and private support to hit renewables targets. I think government's reluctance to move on offtake prices last year led to a number of high-profile project cancellations. So we are seeing some semblance of uh, pragmatism there in terms of moving up the offtake prices, but that definitely needs to come through. And finally, I say I, I think legal frameworks are also key, uh, particularly to encourage replacing you know archaic polluting tech with with clean tech. Uh, and that highlights the importance of collaboration, notably at the COP summits. Rob, thanks for sharing your insights with us today. It's been a pleasure discussing the clean energy transition and learning more about where we're at and what's ahead for the year. This podcast is issued by RBC Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire RBC Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.rbcbluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended, as investment tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited, and it is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. RBC Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast, and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy or completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. RBC Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast or to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but RBC Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the markets in Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined in the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person or published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of RBC Blue Bay or one of its entities.